Father God, when we read passages from your word given by your spirit a long time ago, it isn't always immediately evident to us what this has to say to us today. So we pray that you'd send the same spirit who inspired Paul and to give him these words to open our eyes to to let us see what you have for us and open our hearts too uh, so that we might respond to what you show us. Amen. They pay me for the work I do in the church. I'm going to guess that most of you maybe knew that. For some of you, that's maybe a surprise. But I'm going to talk this morning for a little bit of time and share with you a little bit about that. I'm doing that because I think uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the passage that we've just read, invites us to think uh, at least for some time about that. Let me remind you quickly how 1 Corinthians works. The letter comes in two main sections. In chapter 1, verse 11, Paul tells us that some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are troubles among you. So he spends the first half of the letter responding to what he's heard uh, by word of mouth uh, from Chloe's household. But then in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now for the matters you wrote about. First six chapters, here's the stuff that I heard from Chloe's household. The rest of the the letter, now I'm going to deal with the stuff that you wrote to me about. In chapter 7, if you remember, he dealt there with subjects surrounding marriage. In chapter 8, he dealt with a question that seemed very important in Corinth, but probably not immediately so important for us, and that is the subject of food sacrificed to idols or pagan gods in the temples in Corinth. And now in chapter 9, he's going to defend his own rights as an apostle or as a messenger of Jesus Christ. From what he writes in chapter 9 and from a lot that went, particularly in the early chapters, you can tell that that Paul's under attack. The church in Corinth is is questioning him. They're questioning his authority. I have to come clean here. When I first read this passage, it didn't quite get the right end of the stick, and and I don't mind telling you that. I, I think I got the wrong basic thrust of it. I saw Paul writing a lot of stuff about workers being worthy of their wage, and I thought that Paul was trying to convince uh, the Corinthians of that basic principle, but I don't think he is. I thought maybe they were being stingy, that they were unwilling to support him or other Christian workers, but that didn't seem to be the issue. The guys in Corinth are questioning Paul's authority, and they're questioning whether he's a genuine apostle or not. The fact that he's chosen not to take financial support from them seems to be the problem. The other apostles were receiving financial support. Paul acted differently, so they were concluding, well, he mustn't be a proper apostle. So it takes a bit of getting your head around this. For us, we we find it hard to believe why a person not being paid would bring their, their motives into question. Normally we work in the theory that a volunteer 
has a purer motive maybe than somebody who's been paid for something. So we need to get our head around uh, what's going on in the Greek culture at the time. The, the Corinthian Christians were thinking of Paul on the same terms as the teachers of philosophy who, who were doing the rounds where they lived. These philosophers that travel from town to town, they'd offer their particular brand of teaching. And some of them were becoming celebrities almost. They were becoming more and more popular if their, their message was popular, if they knew how to put on a good show. And in the same way that a modern film star might have a particular fee that they charge for a film, there's A-list film stars that cost so many millions per film, then the importance of a speaker in their culture was measured by how much they charged to come and teach. Paul charged nothing. He made his living making tents. Uh, by the way, this makes Paul even more interesting to me, a guy I'd really like to get to know. As, as you know, I, I love camping. A guy, a friend who makes tents wouldn't be any better than that. So Paul makes tents, and in the Greek culture of the day, manual labor is demeaning. So Paul can't be the real deal. He's demeaning not only to himself, but any church who would pay attention to his message. All of this raised significant question marks over his authority. I hope now we're a bit clearer on what's going on in, in chapter 9. Maybe you understood all of that. I'm just letting you into my mind to say I didn't. I didn't get it until I'd thought about it some more. Let's look here then quickly at Paul's response. He begins by reiterating that he really is an apostle. Verses 1 and 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? An apostle the way it was defined in, in those times, was somebody who'd seen the Lord Jesus Christ and had been commissioned by him to share the message of salvation with the world. Paul says, tick, I qualify. But he goes on and he says, you folks are evidence of my apostleship. These, these young Christians in Corinth, whom he had led to faith in Christ when he founded that church. He says, even though I may not be an apostle for others, surely I am for you. You're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. As soon as he reminds them that he is an apostle, he goes on to talk about this subject, the rights of an apostle to have financial support is his main theme. Look at verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink don't we have the right to take a believing wife with us? Or is it only Barnabas and I who must work for a living? Before Paul goes on to explain why he didn't receive patronage or financial support in Corinth, he explains that as an apostle, he's entitled to. Every bit as much as any of the other apostles, he has a right to food and drink on the basis of the work that he's doing serving the church. And in verse 7, he gives three everyday examples. He says, when a soldier serves in an army, he gets paid. When a grape farmer plants a vineyard, he eats the grapes. When a shepherd, a shepherd would expect to enjoy the, the milk of his goats. In any case, sorry, in case he's, he's accused of resorting to worldly wisdom with those arguments, 
Paul then takes another step. He points us back to the Old Testament, verses 8 to 10. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, he points us to a verse that I know you dwell on often, um, and that is the command not to muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Um, Don't dwell on it often myself. What does it mean? The ox is at work, somehow treading on the grain to prepare it for use. But the Lord, our God, commands that while an ox does that work, you don't muzzle it so it can't eat. If it's doing the hard work with the grain, the Lord says it's entitled to to have a bit of a nibble here and there. It's entitled to enjoy a little of the thing that it's working so hard on. Paul says, he says, well, that command, it shows us the heart of God. The God who cares that way about animals cares that way about human beings too. So he goes on in verse 11. If we have shown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Paul concludes as all the best biblical arguments always do by pointing us to Jesus. He says in verse 14 that the Lord, that is Jesus Christ, has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Did Jesus say that? Did he say that a a gospel preacher is entitled to receive their living from the gospel? Yeah, he did. Matthew chapter 10, verse 10. He sends his disciples out on a short-term mission trip and he says, Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his keep. Similarly, in Luke chapter 10, at the time when Jesus sent out 72 of his followers, He told them to stay in houses, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. So in this passage where Paul's primarily interested in defending his authority, he makes it crystal clear that a person engaged in full-time gospel work is to be paid for the work that they do. Let me pause there for a second. And just take a moment to commend the leadership of, of this church in the way, for the way in which they've dealt with this issue over the years. When I first came here in 2003, this congregation couldn't pay my salary. The church's contribution towards my salary uh, was heavily subsidized from central sources of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. So I was paid a predetermined figure with a a really glamorous title called the Ministerial Minimum. As the church began to grow and the giving grew too, before long the church was able to pay the, the Ministerial Minimum salary. But to their credit, the leadership here didn't stop there. They went far beyond the call of duty to provide generously for for me and for my family. 
And I've extended that same generosity to, to other members of staff who, who work here in the church. This is a church that takes seriously what we see here in God's word, that the worker is worthy of his keep. Before we spend the last few moments on the second half of the chapter, I want to zoom out a little bit to see how chapter 9 fits into the wider context of Paul's letter. In chapter 8, Paul taught the Corinthians that although you might be free in a certain uh, moment to take a particular course of action, because neither the Bible nor your conscience forbids it, although you might have that freedom, sometimes out of love for others, you won't exercise that freedom. You'll set it aside. And now in chapter 9, I think what he's doing is he's offering himself as an example of just that principle. He was free or he had the right to receive financial support for his ministry in Corinth. But in this case, he gave up that right. In other places, Paul received financial support, but not in Corinth. He gave up that right and didn't ask for money, and he did that out of selfless love for others. Paul knew that whenever a preacher asks for money, his motives are open to question. And he was worried that people wouldn't take his message seriously, so he didn't ask for the wages that were due to him. He said, verse 19, I'm free and I belong to no man. What he means by that is, because I don't have a patron standing in the background, I don't have a denomination handing me my payslip, I am free. When you hear me speak, you hear me speak, not my employer, not my patron. Though I am free and belong to no man, he says, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. For Paul, the reason he keeps himself free in this one particular way, free of, of an income, is so that he can make himself a slave to everyone to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Paul, the gospel is more important than any rights that he might have. It's an incredible section, and maybe you, you can remember hearing it before. Uh, it, it reads very well. In section, in verses nine, 19 to 23, Paul explains that he's become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. You'll see there a repetition of the word all. For him, this is what the whole of his life is about. It's centered on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at those verses where he talks about being a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles, you might charge Paul with inconsistency. Paul, you can't go around changing who you are all the time. In chapter 8, he said, if you remember, it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. But then he goes on to say that there's times when you probably shouldn't do it. Paul sometimes plays the good Jew and he goes along with all the rules about kosher food. 
but at other times he seems to ignore the very same rules. Is Paul inconsistent? Absolutely not. He's entirely consistent to a much deeper principle. His principle is that the sharing of the gospel is the most important thing in his life. He says, I'll go to any lengths to avoid putting up barriers between me and the person with whom I might share Jesus Christ. Vaughan Roberts, in his commentary, describes Paul as a chameleon for Christ. He would never compromise on issues of morality or truth, and he never uses underhand deceitful methods of evangelism. But if there were any cultural factors that got in the way, He's determined to be the one to adapt rather than expecting non-Christians to do so. Paul is willing to be flexible about absolutely everything. Everything. So long as he can do the one thing that matters and that is share Christ with people. I find this a a very challenging chapter of God's word to be dwelling on just now. A chapter like this got me focusing on my work in Christian ministry. And I couldn't help but wonder whether I share Paul's willingness to give up rights. Have I been willing to make sacrifices in order to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? in the ways I believe God is calling me to. At my best moments, I think I have. In 1997, I gave up a career as a chartered accountant because I believe God was calling me to a gospel ministry in the church. For the next three years, I lived as a student on a student bursary Uh, with whatever I could earn on on part-time jobs. In 2003, at the time when I was considering coming to to this church, to Kirkpatrick Memorial, another church with a 50% greater salary was keen to talk to me too. And the convener of that vacancy, I remember, was, was quite surprised when I told him that it would be Kirkpatrick Memorial. Over the last eight years, hardly a year has passed when I haven't uh, received a phone call inviting me to consider going to a larger church where a larger salary would be on offer. And each time the answer has been no. And even now, at a time when, when this church has been able to be much more generous to me and to my family, I want to continue living sacrificially a simple life so that nothing gets in the way of sharing the gospel. In a few weeks' time, I'll take my car for its seventh MOT as it celebrates its 11th birthday. Pray for me. (laughs) I hope it scrapes through. This year, 
as for the last number of years, our family will holiday almost exclusively under canvas with our travel subsidized with our Tesco vouchers. My clothes, well I won't even mention my clothes. Friends, the truth is I don't want to be drawn in to a comfortable, complacent, self-indulgent way of living. I want to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to live sacrificially for him so that other people might come to know him. And there are moments along the way when I wonder if I'm still living that way. I tell you this this morning because I'm your pastor. I'm the one who who lives by the work that I do here. And I have a couple of hundred witnesses this morning to hear me say all this and to keep me accountable. So if you see me living wrongly with my money, come and tell me. You'll be very welcome. You'll have an open door. Let me close by inviting all of us to be a part of this conversation. Because I think Paul's basic point is for all of us. I wonder, have we got it? Paul's Paul's passion to arrange his affairs so that he can best live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this kind of passion for the gospel that motivates missionaries to leave the land of their birth, to leave their family and their friends so that they can go and reach unreached people, people who are lost without Jesus. It's this kind of passion that spurs on wealthy Christians not not to simply increase their standard of living as God blesses them with financial resources, but to live a modest lifestyle so they too can be dynamically partners in the gospel. It's this passion that motivates us to at great cost give our free time To do things like giving out parish newsletters and to inviting friends to evangelistic events and teaching kids and young people about Jesus. This passion changes how we live. So I invite you to join me and ask yourself also the question, in what ways am I allowing my love for lost people to curb the rights that I feel I have and lead me to make sacrifices for them? What can I point to in my life and say with the Apostle Paul, I do all this, all this for the sake of the gospel? Let us pray.
Father God, we thank you that you're a good and a kind God who cares for each one of us. Thank you for that little glimpse way back in the Old Testament that you care even how an animal experiences its working life, that its well-being is right in your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you care too for us, that we have the food that we eat and the clothes that we need. Lord, don't let us allow these things to draw us away from you. Help us to be willing to give up all things in order to live faithfully for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.